False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. This is episode 110 for March of 2021. And Eric and Garrett are with me as they always are. So, hi guys. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. It almost felt like spring today. It was like 62 degrees and had the windows open in the house. I think that's the first time since, I don't know, October. Yeah. I was outside yeah. in my shirt sleeves today and it was very nice. Yeah, I mowed my grass. So I, I bought a new battery-powered lawnmower, which I'm really the, excited about. Did you get the Easy Go? No, I got the Toro. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like so I, I used it for the first time uh, just a couple hours ago. And it's, you know, kind of sunny. And, um, man, that was a cool mower, actually. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, they're, I like, I like, I've, I've got the Easy Go one, and it's nice yeah. just because it's, doesn't make a lot of noise. <laughs> it's so quiet. And you don't like to start it. You just push a button and yep. you're going. Yep. And it like cuts just as well as a gas powered mower. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also bought like the matching leaf blower and the <laughs> the uh, uh, string trimmer also. So I got the whole fleet. Cool. I'm such a homeowner. <laughs> yeah, that that that's that's truly adult when you get excited about a lawnmower. Oh, yeah. I I wanted to buy the snowblower that kind of matched my... uh, so I could use the same batteries, but some... I'm assuming it was semi-COVID related, but before the winter, I was looking at it, it was like $1,100. Like, yeah. And then somewhere around like December, January, it was like $1,500. I'm like, yeah, it'll wait another year. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. No kidding. Anyways, so uh, exciting news for me. Uh, no, 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 the bike hasn't advanced any. That's that's <laughs> not it. That because actually would be exciting news. Um, as we record this on Thursday at noon, I'm on an airplane to Florida to go announce the Daytona 200. Ooh, exciting! Not as we record this, as this goes live. Sorry, as this goes live. I was yeah. going to say. I can see you. You're in your house. You're not on an airplane as we record yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I meant more as like as we're talking at this very moment. In a couple of days, I will be boarding an airplane and heading to Florida. And which, what will you be going to Florida for? Uh, so the Daytona 200, the motorcycle race, which will be its 79th running. Theoretically, well, it's supposed to have been its 80th running, but it, they canceled it literally at the, at the 11th hour last year because of covid um so this will be the 79th running and uh, i will be the lead announcer way up in the booth uh working with richard chambers who will be on the in in uh, infield and doing all the inter- uh calling from the infield and then doing all the interviews very cool that's yeah. exciting so, do you have to like how much research do you do prior to something like this or do you just continually uh, keep up with the racing series so you always know what riders are in it and kind of, you know, any tidbits that you need to know about them. Um, sort of depends on this one because, because the, the grid is semi fluid of who will be there and who won't be. 
it doesn't make a ton of sense to like get in depth on everything. Um, so there'll be the top five or 10 writers that I will probably pay attention to and just, um, you kind of look up stuff real quick. And then there's a few people who've been running for like literally 40 years. Uh, like this guy, John Ashmead, uh, who's run like every year since the seventies and holds wow. the record, uh, the, the, the mileage record at Daytona, like at 4,600 and some odd miles during the race. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not joking. At least by like a long, by a long margin. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's some of that. And then, because Richard, who's uh, who I'll be working with, has been calling races not only there but uh, at Daytona for 40 years, but then follows some of the or announces at some of the smaller series that where a lot of these guys filter in from for this particular race. Um, but I just follow his lead, and my job is sort of to tee him up to be, you know, have all the details, and I'm sort of the basis, you know, get the storyline right, talk about some of the action on track and whatever, and then set Richard up because he's the he's the subject matter expert. So mm-hmm. very cool. He's not necessarily the color guy, but it's when I work with him in the past, that's kind of how we do it is since he's fully in depth and immersed in all and absolutely everything and knows literally everyone per, on a very personal level. I just tee him up and, and let him do what he does. And I'm there to, to take care of all the, the main stuff. So, you know, he's the color guy and I'm the play by play guy. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So by the time people are listening to this, do they have a chance to actually listen or watch? Um, NBC Sports Gold uh, will be streaming the race, just the audio stream from the track. Okay. Um, Very so good. they're going to be doing us in the afternoon and then the American Flat Track from Volusia they'll be doing later in the evening. So, mm. so yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's, um, it's obviously been a bucket list thing for me for a very, very long time. Unfortunately, that race ha- doesn't have the the prominence and the impact it once did even, you know, like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Sure. So, but still, Hey, better to do it than not to do it. So yeah. Right. You know. That's cool. Garrett, what have you been up to? I have been working pretty hard on building some bookshelves in my house and it was kind of one of the last things. So, you know, we moved into this new house, which required us to finish a whole bunch of projects on our old house And so I did that, got moved, but there was like a couple of things that my wife really wanted me to do before releasing me to freedom. (laughs) And (laughs) one of them was our office. I built some walnut desks and some bookcases. And then in our living room, she wanted bookshelves built, which I sent you guys a picture of on Slack. They were like a nine foot high wall to wall around the living room. Uh, set of bookshelves and so i finished those just three days ago and so now that's some impressive carpentry work that's that's pretty impressive yeah thank you that um it took four weeks although two weeks of that i didn't work on it because of my kidney stone and you know the surgery and all that so which um, is is all resolved now and you're so we were talking about that last episode and that is now a thing in the past. Yeah. So finished the bookshelves and now I can get back into my own projects. I have nothing else to do as you know, my time is my time now. So I can, uh, get back into the workshop, get my motorcycles going, finally get some progress done on a bunch of motorcycle projects. I've been neglecting for a few months now. So 
what is it that you're itching to get back to work on that you're you're excited about out of all so, the things that you have out in your garage? A couple of things. One is um, that Z50 that I restored. I just it needs like two cables hooked up to it to be like completely done. And so it's like 99.9% finished, but there's just a couple little nagging things I need to do, and then that'll be done. My 1970 CT70, I have all the parts powder-coated and candy sapphire blue. I have all of my hardware re-zinc plated. Still waiting on the engine that I bought to get here, Um, but I've got my wheels and tires and basically all the parts that I need minus the engine, which is on its way, to assemble that. So I want to spend a couple days getting that CT70 finished up. And then one of the other big things is my RZ350. I haven't really shaken it down yet. So I took it on a couple of uh, loops around the neighborhood after I put it together, which has been like quite a while now, maybe like a year or something that that motorcycle's been put together. But I haven't really worked the bugs out and given it a proper shakedown yet so i would like to be able to put some miles on that this summer which is going to require just spending a little time getting it ready for the road cool so those are the big ones well uh i think last episode i was talking about my taiwanese sst frame and all of my spare parts and it was actually remarkable how well everything was able to go together but I looked at a whole bunch of different options for engines. Originally, I was going to use a blaster motor. They're really expensive. Anything that was in running condition was a grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. It was originally designed for a Taiwanese clone of a DT-175 motor. Back when they called it, I think, the CT-1. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at like... a. Close facsimiles of maybe like an RT100 or an RT180 motor. It's not big enough for a lot of things that I would like to put in it. And I started going down the line of, well, what if I cut out the down tubes? That opens up all kinds of possibilities. Well, about that time, I was watching several of the... Uh, predator-powered motorcycle videos that we had talked about in the past. And I went out on eBay, and LCT, which is a company that is, kind of arose from the ashes of Tecumseh, makes, what is it, Honda GX200 clones that are like the 212cc yeah. Predator. Mm-hmm. Well, these were brand new. They were configured for Husqvarna snow blowers. And they were $99 shipped. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I was like, this is too good to be true, but I'm going to gamble $100. And it is a perfect GX clone. Well, one of the reasons that I was attracted of it is it had an electric starter. And I thought, oh, not having a pull start would be nice. If you had an electric starter, you know, you could just Mm -hmm. hit the starter and go. After I bought it and had paid my money to eBay, I read the rest of the description. (laughs) Yeah, I've done that so many times. It's not a 12-volt starter, as they do on snowblowers. You only use them when they're really cold and you don't want to keep a battery charged. So it's got an extension cord you plug into the house current. (laughs) So it doesn't have its own battery. You plug it in. to start. I thought, well, if you're trying to start something that won't start, that still would be 
nicer than pulling it up a million times trying to get it to start until I realized that the starter that's on this particular motor is 220 with a European plug. (laughs) 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 So I said, okay, this isn't going to work. And this is the starter's useless. I'll go out and find out how much a 12 volt starter for this motor is. And it was $68. So I bought a $99 motor and then I spent $68 on a 12 volt starter for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I bought one of those Chinese copies of the Comet uh, torque converter CVT that you can get anywhere. Mm -hmm. I got that and started looking at how this could go in there. Mm -hmm. I was really discouraged because I thought I'm going to have to cut the frame to fit this just like everybody else does. They just get some square tubing and weld up some rinky dink thing to put a platform. in. Well, everything fits in, including the starter, but it can't go more than a couple of millimeters in any direction. And I had to, to really position it really high. The crank on the engine sits about halfway between the bottom of the frame and the bottom of the fuel tank, but it works. I kind of had to rotate the torque converter on it out of its usual position that most people put it in. They have multiple mounting holes so you can change the angle between the torque converter mounting plate and the engine. And I had to kind of rotate it down because otherwise it was just going to be too long to fit. So that's why it's got to sit kind of high. Unfortunately, the intake and exhaust are right next to a frame tube. So... In between the starter and the frame and the carb mounting studs and the exhaust and the bottom of the torque converter, there are millimeters all the way around, but it works. I can build a mounting bracket for it. It's going to look a little odd, not so much from the left side because the torque converter kind of fills up the area, but from the right side, it's going to look like the engine's floating halfway up the frame. But I thought, hey, I can put a battery under there. I can put the electrics under there. I can, I'll make it work. So that all worked. And I also put it in my jig and started looking at the rear wheel. I did go by two wheels and tires that I'm telling myself are for a future project. (laughs) (laughs) I really gave up on the wheels that I bought for the, what was it, Yamaha Venture. They're just too wide and they didn't match anything else. When I decided I was going to use the inboard Honda brake on the front, I looked for something similar in a kind of angled three-spoke wheel and an EX500 back wheel is close enough. Paint them the same color, they'll be fine. And I found one on eBay with the the rubber uh, uh, drive cushions in it and the sprocket carrier and the sprocket for $38. So it's like, it's like, okay, this will work. Unfortunately, it's really wide with the swing arm pushed all the way over to the left side of the frame and the wheel pushed all the way over as far as it'll go in the swing arm. It is exactly centered in the frame with no room to spare, literally millimeters in between the inside of the swing arm and where the face of the wheel is or the sprocket carrier is. And I'm going to have to do things like shorten the studs, mm-hmm. but it, it's all going to line up. The, the chain is going to be just in far enough and the wheel's just going to be centered when you do that. And the engine is going to be just 
inside the frame. So I'm not going to have to cut the frame. I did cut some brackets off of it. Uh, I don't need to modify the rear wheel or anything other than the, the sprocket studs. I need to find a 420 sprocket that's going to fit this wheel. So I went out to the JT Sprockets website and started looking through all of their different parts. And what is it? CRF150 rear sprocket mm-hmm. is a 420, the same mounting center. So the, the flange that it fits on to center it is the same mm-hmm. and the same bolt holes. The only, wow. the only difference is it has four instead of six. So I'm going to have to put them together, use a transfer punch and drill four of the six holes correctly. But uh, I was fortunate that I think even that's going to work out. So I'm into this for about 600 bucks right now. And I have pretty much all the components. The one expensive thing I did spend money on is tires. I really wanted something that was kind of a, for lack of a better term, a gravel road tire. I didn't want full knobbies. I wanted something that would be street legal if I ever wanted to title this and make it street legal and put lights on it and everything. And the front tire, it's a narrow 16-inch rim and a 17-inch on the back. Trying to find a dual sport tire in those sizes that match and can, you know, fit the front wheel and the back wheel, really tough. Well, fortunately, uh, Heidenau makes a really cool tire. It's called a K66, and it's mostly in scooter sizes, but they make 16 and 17-inch versions of it. And I did some reading on them, and they're actually well-thought-of tires. They were more than I wanted to spend. I was really looking at junky tires, and these are – they were $185 for a pair. And nobody has them in stock because they're such a weird thing. So I ordered them from Cycle Gear. One to two weeks to get them into stock after you order them, plus another week to ship them to you. So I'm not going to have them for three weeks. So just before this podcast, I was down in my basement. I got a big rubber Tupperware bin. I put all of the Predator parts in it, everything involved in that bike in a Tupperware container and set it aside. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to working on the other two, my older projects, until my tires get in. That's what I promised myself because quite honestly – the Predator performance and tuning rabbit hole goes so deep. Yeah, <laughs> it goes so deep. <laughs> yeah. Between the go-kart people, the vintage mini bike people, and the people who are doing this of converting motorcycles to Predator power, just the wealth of information on CVT tuning and uh, modifying these for performance. Yeah. You could make a whole hobby just out of predator performance. The running availability on- of performance parts is pretty staggering and really inexpensive. Yeah. All things considered for performance parts. You're going to, going to tune it to run on, uh, methanol and nitromethane. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Speaking my language. But honestly, initially, as little as I have into this, it's going to be a 3,600 RPM stalker. You know, as soon as you take the governor off and go beyond that, you've got to have a billet flywheel. You've got to have a uh, a better connecting rod. And I'm just not ready to go there. If I ride it, 
and I think it's cool <laughs> and I find a purpose for it, either, you know, license it for the street or have some reason to ride it somewhere. Maybe I'll go down that path, but not until I have at least this and two other motorcycle projects running. And then I'll think <laughs> about maybe getting into the performance side of it. That'll be, that'll be good. <laughs> but it, it is amazing how many things just works. This just fits. This just might all go together. Remind me what front fork you're using. Uh, the front forks are from a Suzuki GS650 GL Cruiser uh-huh. turned 180 degrees. So it's a trailing axle instead of a leading axle. Okay. And that's because this frame has a really like 26 degree angle steering stem on it. And if I didn't do that, I would have no trail at all. This thing would be just tank slapper city. (laughs) It keeps telling me what it wants. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this works. Okay, that works. And it's nice not to have to fight something all the time, isn't it? Yeah, I had that Honda Interceptor front wheel under my workbench for 15 years. Well, if the whole point of this is to use up all the crap that's been sitting around in my workshop, <laughs> got out my big long steel ruler and my laser and turn it around, I get four and a half inches of trail. Yeah, that's that's just about what it should be. Well, we joked about it, I think, the last month when we recorded talking about like Mike Patey, but I'm like, this truly is scrappy. His is like scratch built, whatever, but you know, yours is truly a scrappy kind of build where it's just pieces and parts from, from everybody, everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually going to be something I'm going to think is cool. Even if I just like ride it around the lawn, you know, it's, yeah. there's so many things like you can go with a uh, six magnet flywheel and an alternator and then run CDI ignition and get 60 watts for your lights and a battery. Ooh, nice. Nice. You can make that thing street legal easy. Now, they're inexpensive parts. It's like 60 bucks for the stator and 30 bucks for the flywheel. But you could spend 10 times what you spend on one of these engines Yeah. once you get it. Getting the engine is not the expensive <laughs> part. It's all of the uh, getting an electric starter for mm-hmm. it. At this point, it's going to be total loss. I'm just going to put a battery on it that's going to turn the starter, and when the battery's dead, you pull the handle so we'll just have to see how everything goes i got another call from the harley davidson dealer (laughs) (laughs) inviting me to their special rib roast oh my yeah (laughs) well tell them that they finally actually they're finally producing a vehicle that or a, a motorcycle that could actually be interesting and useful Mm hmm. the pan america yeah I did not like the Pan America till I saw the all black one. Yeah. That doesn't have the multicolored fairing. On it. Mm-hmm. That isn't attractive. It's not like, oh, I want that. But it's like, yeah. okay, I could see buying that if I was, if I wanted that style of bike and I was shopping for it, the looks wouldn't turn me off. <laughs> well, there's one. <laughs> you know, <I> like... <laughs> but I'm not in the market for that bike. So You're it right. doesn't make right. any difference. So, but I wouldn't buy a GS. BMW either. I think they're just homely. Not when you can get something like the new Triumph Trident, which I just am all 
gooey over lately. I've been watching all the reviews. I spent my lunch hour, at, I don't know, maybe a week or so, so ago, and I watched like four or five different either road tests or first impressions, you know, first ride videos, mm-hmm. you know, from 10 miles an hour to 70. You never need to worry about what gear you're in. Just open it up and it goes really well for a 660. Now, it doesn't have the top speed or the absolute peak power that, you know, super sports have. But that's not what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really attractive bike. It's grown on me since I first saw it. I could see going that way. I mean, it's an entry-level triumph, right? It's to get you into the brand. Right. Uh, so, uh, A long time ago, when we were talking about bikes, I said I was interested in the bobber. But I didn't like the fact that the fuel tank was so small on it. You had to pay extra to get accessory cruise control on it. And you either went with the skinny wheel and a single brake, or if you got the big front end with the dual brakes, you had to get the bobber black, which has blacked out pipes and matte paint and everything. And just look, I didn't like Uh I had a, a friend of mine also tell me that the seat on that thing is relatively uncomfortable. I have heard some of the accessory seats that they have are actually kind of nice, so... But for 2021, they did away with the bobber black. They did away with the standard bobber with the narrower front wheel and the single brake. And they now have one model that has the big front tire and the dual brakes, stainless steel pipes, cruise control is standard. You can get it with the gloss red tank and they increase the size of the tank. So it now has 160 mile range. Mm. I'm like, you pretty much just nixed all of my yeah buts. All the reasons (laughs) that I would say I didn't want that motorcycle, you've eliminated them all for this year. So that is a motorcycle that could tempt me. It would probably suit the kind of riding that I do better than a super sports bike of some kind. And quite honestly, I can't bend my knees as far as I used to be able to for an extended period of time. So the mid controls out in front of you went from being a detriment a decade ago to, okay, I could. I had myself completely talked into buying a Royal Enfield Continental GT over the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. like ready to go buy one. And I'm still like really strongly thinking about it, but I was just looking at one of my local dealerships and they have the Husqvarna Vitpilin 701 motorcycles out the door for sixty four ninety nine. Wow. Yeah. Because weren't they like nine, almost yeah, ten grand? Yeah, they dude? were really yeah. expensive. And that was the yeah. biggest criticism everybody had was just that they were overpriced. Out the door, sixty four ninety nine. Wow. Yeah. And wow. they have a few of them. <laughs> and I'm, I think maybe because they're just not selling. Right. Well, but I mean, Husqvarna spent, what, $30 marketing that bike? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know. right. That is, I mean, the price of a Royal Enfield. Mm-hmm. And, and it solves the Royal Enfield's largest problem. It's inadequate power? Well, barely at. I would call it barely adequate power. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, although there is an aftermarket, well, I don't know if it's aftermarket, but I think it's S&S makes a kit that takes care of that, but still, yeah. but you got to pull the motor and 
do that. But yeah. Right. So I don't know. I'm really thinking about that. I, I'm not like a big fan of that motorcycle, but for that price. Right. I could be. <laughs> I could be. I think that sounds like one of those historic deals. Like when, when, when Yamaha was blowing out SRX sixes mm-hmm. and everybody that didn't pick it up is kicking themselves now. I think this could be one of those deals that if that's truly the price that, wow. I forgot which version of Buell it was, whether it was like EBR or the Buell Reborn or whatever. But one of those bikes, when they went out of business, was like $6,000. I think it was the 1125s, wasn't it? Or was it the 1191 or was it the 1190s you could find for $7,500? You know, it's not a bike that I would normally look at, but you know, when it's five to seven thousand dollars, I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what's your downside other than, you know, you got to deal with all the Buell owners, which don't get me started on that. Oh, but sorry, not to go off on a, on a complete rat hole, but, um, from a video, it was tech talk team hero EBR. So this is like a seven year old video. And this dude goes on and on about how great the tech was of putting fuel in, in the frames and the single, uh, single brake disc and how that was such a superior technology. I'm like, well, if it was so great, why hasn't anyone else adopted it? And like, well, they're stuck in this corporate thing. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. When you go racing, none of that matters. You do whatever you've got to do to, yeah, to get, you know, a tenth of a second. And then he spent literally like 700 words explaining <laughs> why I was wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> like my God, but, but that's typical for Buell owners, right? They just, they're like musk, they're very musky in, in the sense of, you know, <laughs> cult of personality holy crap it just uh, <laughs> yeah a few things get me riled up these days but that that level of ignorant uh, willful ignorance and stupidity it comes real close <laughs> so i think that it's appropriate now to talk about buell since apparently they're back yes but without eric so they have a chance yeah <laughs> so but what i'm confused by is it seems like the uh they're, you know, sort of flagship bikes or just the same thing that they were trying to sell in 2017 and 18, mm-hmm. the 1190 RX and then the 1190 SX. So they're just um, selling. But then the, I, I understand they have plans for some other models as well. And so you're saying that Eric Buell is not he's not. Um, no, he's got nothing to no. do with it. It was the guy really? that. It was the guy that actually bought all of the rights from the from the liquidation of right. the last one, and and, he, the, and all the parts and stuff too. Right. Okay. So yeah, I, I knew that he was CEO of the company. I just didn't know that Eric Buell didn't even have any sort of uh, participation in it at all. No. No. Interesting. They're actually, I think, based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So they're like two hours from me, two and a half hours from me. Yeah. Not that I'm willing, not that I'm, I'm interested in going over. <laughs> Although, like I said, if Eric's not it, involved, maybe it's got a chance. Well, they're going to have a great to, engineer, but he's a horrible businessman. Yeah. Evidently, they're claiming that they're going to have like 14 different bikes, 14 yeah. different models. There's it, no way. I don't know how you, how you manufacture a new motorcycle, and I don't think what they've got is any more marketable than it was a couple of years ago. So 
it sounds to me like, you know, one of those boutique companies that just, you know, like the company in Texas that's still making DeLoreans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got the inventory. You can put them together when somebody wants to give you money for them, but it's not going to be a a huge concern that you can come out with 14 different models and unless they're, you know, like Harley and they're just 14 different color schemes and handlebar heights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can have a standard, you can have a, you know, a naked, a sport bike and an ADV bike. And then what else do you do from there? A, a sport, a bagger, you know, or some <laughs> kind of sport touring or, I mean, baggers are the thing these days. So, you know, well, maybe. <clears throat> and you can look at Modus. Modus created what is, Arguably a really, really good motorcycle that was well engineered and they couldn't sell it for a price that people wanted Anyone to pay. Even yeah. everybody said, it's a great bike, but it's not the kind of thing I'm going to spend my money on. Well, because they were like, to what, 40 grand? I, I don't I know think? what they went for, but it, it was it was an unreal price. A lot of money, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Uh, I, I don't wish poorly on anyone. Um, I hope they can make it as, as you know, they're a Michigan based company, you know, fingers crossed. Um, someone in Michigan putting a business together these days instead of going out of business and, you know, having to run at it. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I kind of regret not buying one of those like two year old, new old stock Buell RX 1190s or SX, either one. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was looking for a motorcycle before I bought my FZ one, that was kind of my thought. I was, there were quite a few of those motorcycles around the country and I, they were approximately 7,500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that was like in the realm of the price range, but I just like, it was going to take more effort to do. And then I just ended up buying that FZ one, but I kind of wish I would have bought one of those EBRs. It, it does satisfy one of the things that I look for in a motorcycle, and that's I don't see myself coming and going very often, you know? Yeah. Do you see one? You're like, the hell's that? Oh, that's what that is. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Well, Peter, it looks like you found a vit villain for the same price. So it must be a Husqvarna yeah, thing. They're just blowing out it's old a bikes. 2019 with the cast wheels that I found in Washington State for the same yeah. price. Now, they don't say that's out the door, but I bet if you went with the cash, right. anybody's going to give you out the door yeah, on one. Apparently they're not selling. No. You know, well enough to, well, to sell, you know, cause I, I guess this is saying that the retail price was $9,500. And now, you know, this local dealer is $6,499. No freight, no setup. So yeah, I'm sure bringing in cash, it seems like maybe they'd like to move these things out. And this dealership that's, um, this is a 2020 and it's, I mean, I, I like the cast wheels better than the spoke. But um, they've got like several of them hmm. at this price, so that's pretty tempting. I'm looking <laughs> at uh, Cycle Trader. There are a lot. It looks like seventy four ninety nine and seventy nine ninety five. Yeah. Well, even if even if you bought it and rode it for like a year and sold it, you probably wouldn't lose much, if any, money yeah. on it, right? Right. And at, man. I might have to take a trip to my local dealer tomorrow. Because <laughs> that's an inexpensive way to get into a brand new motorcycle. Yeah. And I would just I would for probably... something to ride. Because right now I have no modern motorcycle. I have antiques. And as fun as, you know, some of the motorcycles are, like the RZ350, it's still an old temperamental yeah. it's, motorcycle. It's nice it's to press nice a button. 
nice yeah. to press a button, let the clutch out, and just go yes. ride. You know, yeah. And I really like the Royal Enfield styling. I think that that styling I think suits me better than the the Husqvarna. But still, it's the Husqvarna is. 75 horsepower compared to the Royal Enfield's 46, I think. Yeah, 46. And it probably weighs less, too. Oh, I'm sure. The Royal Enfield is actually quite heavy. What, 450, 470, something like that? Yeah. Memory serves? Yeah. That thing's probably barely 400, so. Right. If that. Yeah. Yeah. Just be prepared. The seat on it is. Oh yeah, it looks like it's about a half an inch. It's thick. a carpeted two by four. It, it when I sat on, yeah. I'm like you're kidding me. You thought this would be comfortable? So you sat on it. So like the ergos on it. Aside from the horrific seat, what are your thoughts on reach to the bars, the foot peg position? The the bottom half of the triangle. It the the pegs are directly below the seat, and I thought it was roomy enough that you could do that. The bars are really low. You're in a crouch the whole time, which wouldn't be bad for the first 10, 15 miles. But you can't sit up, stretch your back, get, you know, straighten your back on it. If it was me, I would get the Vitpalin and I would get the higher bars off the Svartpalin, uh-huh. the dual sport version of it, mm-hmm. just to raise the front up. And I think that would be a totally doable motorcycle. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I might have to think about this a little <laughs> bit more tonight. <laughs> six nine. That's the six ninety KTM motor, right? The single yeah, cylinder. Yeah. 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 No, it's a twin. No, it's a single. It's oh, a is single. it? Yeah. 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 It's it's oh. the same as the six ninety Duke. Okay. So big old thumper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's counterbalanced, and people say it's it's not an unpleasant thumper. And <laughs> do they all come with ABS? Do you yeah. know? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's a requirement. Like a legal requirement. Well, anymore. In, in Europe, is it? it's oh, not. Okay. It's not in the United States, but it is in Europe, and they did it on all of them. Yeah, I think KTM does it on all their bikes. The fuel tank seems like it must be really small. I don't know what the range is on one of those. It's not a touring bike. Yeah, yeah, I guarantee you, you're going to want to get off the bike before the fuel yeah. tank's empty. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, even if you got to spend like three or four hundred bucks for a seat for a good seat aftermarket seat on that thing. That's still, it's a hell of a deal. Interesting. <laughs> My gears are turning. I can see the smoke coming out from beneath the, the headphones there. Yeah. My wife won't be terribly excited, but that's okay. Tell her, tell her she just got uh, <laughs> we have a guest bedroom I can sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all that hazard pay that you're getting, you're paying for it with, right? Hazard pay? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'm from fuelly the actual fuel mileage is like 55 to 60 miles a gallon wow and bennett's uk says that the range is upwards of 200 miles wow seriously that's really surprising it's got a 12 liter tank on it yeah uh, three, point two gallons. three gallons yeah that's yeah. remarkable actually i thought that that would get closer to 30 miles per gallon so anyways we know where garrett's going tomorrow oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you know the reason why i found this motorcycle and the price is because well i was originally looking for a yamaha pw50 and they're really difficult to find there's like almost always a waiting list to buy them finding them in stock is kind of difficult so then i was looking at 
uh, like a CRF 50 or something like that for, you know, cause that the Honda 50 that I restored, I, I hesitate now to just let my kids go and destroy it. So <laughs> I was thinking about buying another 50, letting them kind of learn on that. And then, you know, having the Z 50 that I restored have two fifties at any rate. Uh, but so I was scrolling through motorcycles and then came across this Husqvarna and I hit, like I was saying, in the recent, like two weeks, I had myself like talked into buying a Royal Enfield, but then saw this. So maybe I'll get a CRF 50 and a Husqvarna tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to go get a cashier's check tomorrow because I'm picking up something on Saturday. Ooh. Something that I had to drive all over town to find a dealer that had one in stock. A 20-foot pipe top drop gate uh, utility trailer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, A 20-foot, huh? Yeah. My wife and I, end of the month, we're going to go down to the Ozarks and just take a week off of work and just go ride all the little t- super gnarly Ozark country roads it was like two years ago we went out and we did smack dab and then we went over into wyoming and we did uh the black hills and the badlands and devil's tower and needles highway and it was great but there was one evening that we got into uh wall south dakota we had just gone through the Badlands, or I think it was the day before we went through the Badlands. We had gone through Needles Highway that day. We had a great day of riding, but we got into Wall right in front of a pretty serious storm front, and it was under a tornado watch, and we got to our hotel, and we got out of our gear and took a shower, and my wife did her hair, and we went to go out, and she's like, I want a car right now. I don't want to get back on my spider potentially have to put my rain suit on show up having to put my hair in a bandana because i got helmet head and she's like i just want to get in a car so ever since then she's been saying i want to get a trailer that we can put both our spiders on because we've been talking about wanting to do arizona going out and seeing the painted desert and Mm -hmm. monument valley and stuff like that and she says in the middle of summer i do not want to ride from kansas city to arizona (laughs) in potentially 100 degree heat drive around the desert and drive home without another vehicle. So anyways, we were talking about this trip. We're going to take the end of the month. And she's like, can we rent a trailer? Can we rent like a, like an enclosed cargo trailer and put the bikes in there? And when we're down there, spend the time riding. But if we want to go out to dinner, have the F one fifty that we can go out. And when we're ready to come home, if it's raining, we don't have to slog home in the rain. And I was like, Oh yeah, great. You cannot rent anything over about 16 foot Mm -hmm. without renting a car hauler that has two flip down ramps, nothing in the center for the center wheel on a three wheel vehicle. So we, we don't have, you know, we were looking at renting like, uh, tilt back hydraulic things for hauling tracked earth movers and stuff. And it was like, it was just getting ridiculous. We're like, okay, this this isn't going to work. And we kind of both looked at each other about the same time and said, well, we could buy one. So we started looking at what we wanted. And I went around to a couple dealerships and uh, 
A couple of them had no-name brands that were made out of angle iron. I was like, nah, I'm not, not doing this. So I finally decided for $39.95, I can get a 83-inch wide double axle, hmm. one that I could put my car or my wife's minivan on. You know, it would physically fit and not go over the payload rating on it. And Sarah was legitimately excited when I said, I found it. Do you want me to go ahead and just buy it and we'll pick it up Saturday? And she said, yeah. And then she called me back like a half an hour later. She goes, I am more excited than I have been in so long about going on a spider trip. (laughs) She's like, when we get there, we can go ride. We can have fun on the roads. We want to go on, but we'll have the van or the, the truck. If something goes wrong with one, we put it on the trailer and we, we we can continue our trip and not be stranded somewhere worrying about how we're going to get it back home on a tow truck. And it was just, she was so excited. She's like, that just relieves all of my anxiety. And now we're back to talking about all the places we want to go. So it's a $4,000 investment in keeping my wife excited about taking spider trips. Yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't have to drive a thousand miles to go to some of the places we haven't seen yet. So, so that is the, uh, the big expense, and that's why I am. I came home and I'm like, yeah, okay. The motorcycle that I've been spending money on all kinds of parts for, it's going to go away for a couple of weeks. I got to get at least a couple paychecks <laughs> under my belt before I go back to spending money. It's because I'm going to have to, you know, pay sales tax, property tax, and title it, and all that kind of good stuff. So, very cool. Yeah, and and, and I didn't buy a cheap one. I bought a really good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, it costs you less money to buy the good one the first time versus three years from now, a cheap one's falling apart. So. Exactly. So, uh, they dropped Ford dropped off a $77,000 oh. F-150 for yeah, me today. I saw that on your post. I'm like, how is a half ton <laughs> approaching $80,000? Yes. $76,909. That's unreal. That must be one hell of a truck. You know, but the th- honestly, when we bought ours in 2019, we bought the Lariat because we didn't, I mean, we looked at the, the King Ranch and the Platinum and the, I forget, yeah. Limited and it's gigaws. It's chrome plated plastic trim. It's, mm-hmm. it's fake luxury. It's not a different step up in the vehicle you're getting it's just flash there's still there's still a reasonable amount of hard plastic in that truck yeah yeah <laughs> you know in the trim on the trims and the leather is nice but it's not special you know there's um, yeah well we'll see but yeah it's a it's a f1 just because you're like well why is it so expensive it's a f-150 king ranch four-wheel drive power boost which means it's the uh 3.5 liter with the hybrid and yes it does have the seven and a half kilowatt or whatever generator in it so you can plug everything in in the back i haven't driven it yet because they dropped it off this afternoon and i've been busy with other stuff so uh, yeah i don't see it but hey they sell them by the truckload so yes they and it's do. and it's production it's like a low production number so this will be interesting because the vehicle I just turned in was a low production number from Ford, and it had a few issues. So <laughs> hopefully this one's a little better. Interesting, yeah, yeah. So eventually that that review will be coming out probably on probably on Hooniverse. So we'll see. Very good. Cool. 
Well, have fun at Daytona. I'm going to try. I said normally I would have been like, I'd have been excited about going down there just for sun and warmth, but I got 60 degrees in sunshine today and tomorrow. So it takes a little edge off it, but it'll be nice to see the, see the ocean again. So Mm -hmm. yeah, should be good. And then Garrett, we'll talk about your new uh, Husqvarna (laughs) next month. I think so. (laughs) That would be, none of us have actually bought a, a new modern motorcycle since we've started the podcast. Mm, your no. FZ1 you had when we started, didn't you? No, no you bought no, that. No, I bought that. Morning. But I think that's the only one you bought that wasn't really a project. Yeah. Interesting. And you kind of made a project out of it. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> of course. I can't help myself. <laughs> your homework is you either have to go buy a new bike or you need to go out to your workshop and get... Get something done. <laughs> get something running so we can talk about it next month. Yep. Don't be surprised. Okay. All right. So long, guys. 